0: So that will be in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Eliza. Well good afternoon everybody and happy new year to you and a warm welcome to those of you who may be new and joining us for the first time. So, for those of you who are with us during Advent, we walked through the birth narrative of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew. And so, uh, we let folks know this. Uh, We've been letting folks know it during announcements in our member gathering. But for 2023, we're going to just keep going in Matthew and walk through the entire Gospel of Matthew looking at the life of Jesus. So, really excited to do that. There's something grounding about like going to the source of all of this, right? And just looking at the person of Jesus himself and learning what it means to be with him and to become like him. But what we're going to do today, as it's convenient, it falls on New Year's Day, is we're going to start at the end of Matthew, so you're going to see some spoilers about what happens at the end of the story, and we're going to use this as a springboard for our our vision or theme as a church for this year, because as a church of Jesus Christ, we want to make sure that we are about the things that Jesus is about. And this is easier said than done, it's really easy to say you're about Jesus, but at your heart as a church, you're about something else. So for example, you can have a church where at its heart everybody's there because they enjoy the sense of community, right? You come, you love the support and the belonging that you feel being with a group of like-minded people. Or maybe a church, is, or maybe a church exists for experience. People love going because they get a sense of peace, or you love the feeling of routine. And while these things are often byproducts of a church, um, they're not at the heart of what the church is in and of itself. Because what the church is, is it's a radically new way of life that stems from knowing Jesus and putting his commandments into practice. And so what we see here at the end of Matthew is Jesus gives a central practice that's supposed to characterize all churches in all places. And you can summarize it this way. Multiply with Jesus okay, multiply with Jesus. And so that's going to be our 2023 theme, okay, and I'm going to do my best to show you this isn't just something Steve or the leaders have just made up, but Jesus wants us to be a central practice. And for those of you who maybe you're passing through on New Year's Day, so th- this may feel a little bit more of like kind of a family meeting that you've walked into, but I hope what you see is a glimpse into the heart of Jesus that, that should characterize your life and churches everywhere, okay? So, Um, That's the sermon outline for today is going to be what we just said, multiply with Jesus. Very simple. Okay, so point one is multiply. What does Jesus mean by this? And point two, with Jesus. Okay, so multiply, point one, number two, with Jesus. So first, number one, multiply. So this is right after Jesus rose from the dead, and this is a final get-together he has with his friends before he is enthroned in heaven. And he says in verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's not being cryptic about who he is. He's being shockingly clear. Okay, when he's, there's only one being in the universe who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's God. So he's saying, I am God in the flesh. Okay, and as such, because I'm God, because you're now in a new way of living due to being in relationship with me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, this phrase, make disciples, so in English, it's two words. In Greek, the original, the phrase comes from, it's a translation of one word, mathetuo, which means to train someone in discipleship or to train someone in apprenticeship. And it's noteworthy that Jesus chooses this phrase or this word here because he could have chosen a number of missionary-esque sounding words, right? So like, go and convert, Go and win over. Go and evangelize. But that's not what he says. As one scholar put it, he says the word that Jesus used here is a, uses here is a lower profile, slower word that has scholastic overtones. So Jesus is basically saying, Go and make apprentices of me. And you think about that phrase, apprenticeship. This is helpful because. Apprenticeship, it doesn't apply a one-and-done flashbang event, right? But think about if if any of you have been to trade school or you know of people who are apprentices or maybe you read fantasy and apprentices are all throughout fantasy novels. see some of you wise people nodding, right? It involves, it's a side-by-side long-term process that involves your mind and your hands, right, where you're working in a very personal way with the person developing you. And so when we see that this is what Jesus wants for every person following him, this leads to a host of helpful implications as we think about what it means for us to make disciples. The first implication of the Great Commission is what you could call the, it avoids the convert and leave fallacy. And what I mean by this is where you read the Great Commission as Jesus saying, go out and get people to have a conversion moment. Okay, so think short-term missionaries or Right, revival tents filled with people saying sinners' prayers by the hundreds. And has God used short term missionaries? Absolutely. Okay, but we can't deny the damage done by this often highly impersonal, okay, sometimes colonizing even, approach, where what you just, you go in and you try to convert people through a moment. And what you do is you teach people that being a Christian or conversion, it's about an experience. And some emotions. okay, And that's what it means to be a Christian. But discipleship or knowing Jesus, as Jesus describes it, it's never just a one and done flashbang thing, but it's a lifelong right growth of process and thinking and maturity. And it's it's often challenging. So this is what he means by making disciples. And as an aside, but we always want to try to contextualize to our time and place, this idea, teaching people that, knowing Jesus is mainly about experiencing some emotions, it's at the heart of not all, but many deconstruction stories. Because you think about when you teach someone that being a Christian is about experiencing some emotions. So, okay, so earlier in my life, I'm doing a thought experiment. It's like, yeah, I was at a retreat and a song really stirred me and then a pastor gave a great sermon and then I rose my hand and, you know, poof, I became a Christian, right? It mainly relies on emotional reactivity. And they're not taught how to think, They're not taught how the Bible was actually put together, how to read it wisely. They're not shown what does God actually promise for your life, what does he not promise for your life. Then what happens is later on, okay, something happens, and something often serious happens, right? And so then you have a problem with God or the Bible or the church, and you're just like, okay, I'm out, I'm deconstructing. And you see, ironically, what's going on there is emotional reactivity is at the heart of both conversion movements and many deconstruction stories. But Jesus doesn't tell us, he didn't tell his original followers to go out and get people to have a conversion moment, but he says, invite them into a lifelong, often challenging, but extremely rewarding and growing process of apprenticeship with me. Okay, so first, number one, we see in this great commission, it avoids this kind of one and done, just get people to have a, you convert, and then you leave them alone. Okay, so that's, that's the first implication of it. <clears throat> the second implication here is that Jesus is teaching all believers that Every disciple is to be a reproducer. Okay, so see, what he's doing is he's setting up a a system here. Because Jesus, he's just spent three years apprenticing these 11, among many other men and women. But he's telling these 11 here, okay, I've been training you for three years. And then he says, right, baptizing them. It's interesting, he ties baptism with following him. Baptize them, and then verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So, Each disciple of me is to then go out and teach others to do what I've been teaching you for the past three years, i.e., teach people who know me how to be attuned to God's presence amid the mundane and the anxiety-riddled moments of life. Teach people how to read the Bible wisely. Teach people how to practice the ethics of the kingdom that I've been showing you for the past three years, okay? Ethics such as a practice of nonviolence, not just with your hands, but with your mind and your heart, okay, celebrating the gifts of others, even those who have the same gifts of you but maybe are more recognized than you for it, Okay, treating sexual outcasts and minorities just as Jesus did with dignity and respect, while at the same time celebrating Jesus's vision for singleness and sexuality and marriage okay, amid a culture that has a religious devotion for autonomy and self-expression. Okay, Teach people how to be gentle and to forgive, even if they carry deep wounds. So each apprentice of Jesus is meant to come alongside someone else and help them do these things. So each disciple is to be a reproducer, okay, inviting others into apprenticeship with Jesus. And the number three implication we see of this Great Commission here is this Great Commission has multiplication at its heart. Okay, so when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, he is fulfilling now what God's been promising all throughout the Old Testament. You read the Old Testament, and God's family was never meant to be just about Israel, but Israel was to be a light to the nations through which all the nations would come into God's family. And then now Jesus is saying, "Go go therefore make disciples of all nations. And he's setting up a reproducible, scalable strategy where each disciple makes other disciples who make other disciples who make other disciples. Okay, so multiplication is at its heart. And then when you read Acts, which is basically Matthew part two, or more technically Luke part two, because Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Okay, over and over again, you see the gospel multiplied, the church multiplied. Okay, the gospel of Jesus is always meant to multiply. And so the point here is, is we each, and I say this for myself, because this is something I'm still learning. As we think about knowing Jesus, it's never less than a personal relationship with him. But it always involves helping someone else grow. Okay, helping disciple someone else, it's as central to knowing Jesus as carrying boxes is to an Amazon delivery driver. They just, they go together. Okay, and so in light of this, in light of Jesus' central charge for all of us to be disciple makers and to multiply, uh, just to get this a little bit more grounded, hopefully, what does this look like in practice for our church? And we'll be giving out more details in the weeks to come. But for now, I just, I hope this creates a mindset shift in how we think. And we're going to, each of you are going to have to adjust this to your season of life, right? Maybe you're a mom of young kids. Maybe your job is crazy. But in some degree or another, all of us have to be asking the questions, who am I investing in to help them grow? And number two, how is our group or our team getting ready to multiply? to help other leaders be made, and for other new people to join. Okay, so for leaders, if you're a leader in any way, shape, or form, you need to be asking yourself, who am I developing to do what I do? If you're in a discipleship group or a a community group, you need to be thinking, okay, is our hoped-for outcome in God's timing, but is our hoped-for outcome of this group to multiply? Right, so who's the apprentice in the group getting trained up to be a new leader of the group? Are are you guys thinking, even as you get closer and closer with folks in your group, we need to multiply so that new people to the church can experience what I've been experiencing? We're going to do a leadership class this spring and fall for any of you all who want to grow as leaders or just as apprentices to Jesus. We're going to be raising up new deacons and elders. We want to equip women in particular to be teachers and leaders in this church. Okay, so multiplication, it's always been part of God's plan. It's at the heart of Jesus, and so that's why we want to be a multiplying church. And this is maybe particularly hard if you've grown up in the American church, because at least my experience was, it wasn't taught directly. It was much more unspoken, which is often more powerful. But I grew up just thinking church was mainly about heading into a venue on a Sunday, essentially getting some content, maybe interacting with some people I like, and then leaving. Okay, but that isn't the picture that Jesus gives here and he wants each of you to play a role. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't know, that's great for the superstar Christians, but Jesus didn't put an asterisk, okay, this great commission is for the ninja Christians. Okay, he wants each of you. And so if you're the if you're the quiet type, Jesus will use you. If you're if you're riddled with doubts, Jesus will use you. Okay, if you have hurts, Jesus will use you. This is the beauty of how the kingdom of God works. He uses the least likely imaginable okay so number one jesus says multiply okay we'll get into it more in the weeks to come that's number one multiply number two multiply with jesus so see the very the the final line of this commission and behold i'm with you always to the end of the age i love that he doesn't end the command with uh, if you don't do this then i'll grow cold toward you Right, or, how dare you disobey me if you don't do this? He doesn't end with another command or a threat. He ends with a promise. He says, I'll be with you. And Jesus knows that it is ruinous to do things for Jesus without doing things with Jesus. And as a pastor, I, mean, I, I can tell you, I think one of the most common hazards I see in the church and the most common hazards for my own life is... Christians believing I think it's especially common I've just seen it a lot in Arlington because we're the most educated county in the nation Is a lot of Christians in churches think that being a Christian is mainly about you just need to believe the right stuff about God, right? So you know the right doctrine, you know the right facts, you can do apologetics and so forth when Christianity as Jesus describes it in John 17 is it's about knowing God actually knowing him, right, and being with him and being more aware of him with you throughout the day than you are your best friend or your own body. It's it's about knowing Jesus and being with Jesus. And so what does this actually look and feel like to be with Jesus? Okay, as we multiply, and it's just as you guys enter your, your work situations and your family situations and all the things you're wrestling with, what does it mean to be with Jesus? And we see a picture of this in John chapter 13, and you can Turn there if you want. We'll mainly be zeroing in on one verse, which will be up on the screen. But John 13, 21 to 30 is this section where it's Jesus' final meal with his disciples before he's betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And what John does here is he contrasts two kinds of people. So you have to picture the scene. So they're they're laying on pillows around a dinner table because that's how they ate. And so you contrast two people. In exhibit A is Judas. This is a section where Jesus says, I know one of you is gonna, going to betray me, and we're told that Judas is the one who's going to betray Jesus. So Judas, he's been, he's been in the church. He's been walking with Jesus. He's been doing things for Jesus. But there came a point where Jesus' agenda no longer matched up with Judas's agenda, and so Judas finally had enough, and he said, I'm done. So in Exhibit A, Corner A, we have the disciple who is moving further and further away from the love of Jesus in greater rejection and indifference. But who do we have in exhibit B, or corner B? And we're, we're told in verse 23, one of his disciples, however, whom Jesus loved, this is John, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And a better translation, maybe the translators were too shy, okay, but the translation is he was reclining, he was laying on Jesus' chest, okay, or he was laying on Jesus' bosom. So he has his head right here. And I don't know how many people in your life have that kind of access where you would lay them, rest their head on your chest for an indefinite period of time. Maybe you're more friendly than me, but I'm guessing it's probably between zero and a few, okay, are are the number of people who you would let just hang out like that, right, and be completely comfortable. Okay, so this is a picture of intense warmth and intimacy. And here, what John's doing is he's painting a picture of what it means and feels like, to be with Jesus. And what's the first thing we see here? The the first thing it feels like to be with Jesus is it means you have the experiential security of knowing you're utterly loved. It's It's having the security that you are utterly loved. So when it says in verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, notice that historically we know this is John, but John doesn't say the name. And in part, that's so we can put our names there, Okay, so if you know Jesus, you can say, I'm the one Jesus loves. Okay, and he loves all of me. Not just the things that I present to other people, okay, but, but the things I brood over every day, right? The things I hate about myself, or the things that I just suppress and distract myself from and try not to think about. He's not just fine with those, he loves those parts of me too. He loves all of me. As you're leaning against Jesus' chest. And how do you know this? Because John's here laying on Jesus' chest. And Jesus knows what John's going to do. He's already he, he predicts it. Jesus is going to go to Gethsemane where he's praying alone in terror. And John's just passed out snoring. Okay, when he's supposed to be watching over him. And then when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, John flees for his life. But Jesus wants John here all of him, on his chest, utterly seen, utterly loved. And so it is for you. And the reason you can have this certainty is because of what Jesus did and continues to do. Because when Jesus goes to to the horror of the cross and he rises from the dead, he doesn't do this so you can just have some kind of Vague religious guilt lifted off your ghostly uh, shoulders, and then given a home in the clouds when you die. He went to the cross and the rose, and did it so you can have this kind of intimacy and security with Jesus, regardless of how you're living on a given day. And he continues to be on his knees praying for you today, as we're told in, he- in Hebrews chapter seven. And so first thing, to, to be with Jesus, I mean, just imagine how differently your, your day and all your interactions would look if, if you, you, have, you knew that you have this kind of security and access with Jesus. Okay, so that's the first thing be, being with Jesus feels like. Number two, what is with being with Jesus feel like? Just keep meditating on this picture with me. And here I'm drawing from a pastor named Evan Wickham who did a helpful teaching on this passage. So this image of John, his head against Jesus' chest, looking out. At the rest of the at the rest of the disciples. If you've ever laid your head on someone's chest, just think about or imagine what that feels like. You can feel or sense a lot of what's going on with the person, right? You can feel what's making them anxious. You can feel what lifts them up, what makes them happy. You can feel are are they concerned? Are they laughing? You can you can feel the movement. And so this is what John is experiencing with his head on Jesus' chest. And, you know, in verse 21, Jesus, it says Jesus was troubled in spirit. And then in verse 25, the disciple John looks at Jesus and says, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Like, John's picking this up from the soul of Jesus. And so here we have a—this is a beautiful picture of what a disciple is. A, a disciple is someone who has their head against Jesus' chest— Feeling his heart, feeling his security, and then seeing reality clearly, looking out into the world from that vantage point. That's a disciple. And I can tell you for me, as a pastor, as a dad, as a friend, as a husband, what I and everybody connected to me needs most is for this to be my posture throughout the day to day. Okay, because if functionally my back or my head is resting up against something else for comfort and security, right? So my back is leaning up against how the church is going, right? So as long as things are smooth in the church and, think, think people, and people think I'm performing well as a pastor, right, then I know I'm okay, that's really bad. Things go south really quickly, okay, for me and for everybody else in here, right? Or if my back is against how my finances are doing, right, my bank account, or how my mental health is doing on a given day, right, or anything else, how things are going in my life, then I can't love the other people in my life well if I'm not fundamentally leaning against the heart of Jesus, feeling his heart, and looking out into the world from that vantage point. And that's what people in your life need as well. The, the thing that people need in your life, the, peop- the thing that people in your life need the most is for you not to be smarter, more well-read, better-looking, okay? not so much of a mess. They need you against the chest of Jesus just saying, hey, come over here and see the world, see yourself from this, van- from this vantage point. And so as we head into 2023, I, j- I want to encourage you to start making space to be with Jesus in this kind of way. Okay, what does that look like? It looks like, say you're in the middle of a tough work situation or you're, you're thinking about a conversation you're in the middle of a conversation. It might be a family member, a friend, someone who you want to be angry with or indifferent toward. And in that moment, just mentally, okay, lean back against Jesus. Just feel his heart for the situation. Feel the security of being utterly loved. View that person or the situation through his eyes and then engage with them from that vantage point. I guarantee you, your interactions will change. And then two, the, the foundation for that, being able to do that in the moment, is creating space, okay, most days if not daily, for silence and solitude to hear from Jesus in his word and talk with him in prayer. Because okay, you can't know how Jesus would respond to something in a moment if you don't actually know what he thinks about stuff. Right? Which is, you, you get that from, from the Bible. And maybe some of you, especially those of you who grew up in the church, you're like, alright, here I'm being told again to like, do my quiet time. Yes, I'm telling you to do your quiet time, okay? But I think for a lot of us, maybe we were told to spend time in the Word and pray because if not, God's going to grow distant toward us. Right? Or, like, tragically, we've begun to think this is some kind of legalistic practice. But if you were to tell me, hey, Steve, you need to spend more time with your kids, Or why don't you go hang out with your best friend? I was like, stop being so legalistic, man. Be like, that's just it's what you do, right? With with people you love. And so Jesus never tells you to lean against his chest and hear from him to get his love. He tells you so that you can experience what you already have. So what would this church look like? What would your life look and feel like if just each day, even if you start with five minutes? hearing from him in his word, talking to him in prayer, and then in just the, the mundane and, and anger and anxiety-riddled moments, feeling his heart and engaging with the world from that place. Okay, so multiply with Jesus. That's our theme. Okay, so each Christian here, investing in someone else as an apprentice of Jesus, each team, each group, looking for multiplication. And then all of us as a church leaning against Jesus' heart, feeling what he feels, engaging with the world so that this church and our city can look a little bit more like heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us a reason for living um, that is so much bigger than short-term happiness or pleasure or upward mobility. Uh, but you invite us to be a part of your kingdom that's going out into the world. And so I pray that you'll help us as a church by the power of your Holy Spirit to multiply new disciples to mature current disciples, Lord. Um, For people in this church who have no idea what either of these two things, multiplying or being what Jesus actually looks like in practice, uh, maybe some here this evening are feeling like they're horrible at one or both of those things, that you'll uh, just help them to ask somebody in the church and they can begin to grow, just taking one step at a time and... Uh, By your mercy and kindness, help us to follow this great commission that you've given us, and we can't wait to see what you're going to do in us and through us. Uh, Most of all, I pray that you will help all of us to have a greater experiential grasp of what it means to know you personally and be with you, Um, not just knowing the right stuff about you or feeling like we're obeying enough, but actually feeling your heart, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.